Hello and welcome to the Kick in the Creatives podcast, hosted by myself, Sandra Busby, and my fellow creative, Tara Roskell, offering you interviews, inspiration, motivation, and a gentle prod in the right direction. And for lots more information, challenges, and other useful tools to help you get creating, you can go to www.kickinthecreatives.com. And of course, this is where you can also find today's show notes. Enjoy the show. Today's guest is Lewis Rosignol. Lewis is an illustrator and artist based in Portland, Maine, USA. He specialises in combining hand-drawn and collaged imagery. I first discovered Lewis's work when I became interested in abstract faces. His art was so distinct and unlike anything I'd seen before. He created portraits that were the complete opposite of high realism. His drawings were grungy, predominantly black and white, and very cool. And his work was part of my inspiration to find my drawing style. Sandra is also a big fan of his work, so we were both thrilled when he agreed to come on the show. Thank you so much for joining us, Lewis. We so appreciate you coming on today to talk to us. And what we'd like to know, first of all, is where your passion for drawing began. You know, did you come from a creative background? I mean, I always liked to draw when I was younger. Uh, my parents aren't creative at all. They they don't do anything like drawing or anything. So they always wonder where I where I got that passion. But I've always loved to draw and do music and pretty much everything creative. Um, and I did that right th- right up through my teens. And then I kind of stopped doing it for a while when I got an adult, when I became an adult. But I mean, it's been a passion that's been there, whether I'm involved in creatives or not it's always in my mind so I'm curious about the music now you just mentioned music what music do you do I don't do any like anything professional or put anything out but I I love playing piano I took lessons for years and keyboard and so I just anything like that where I can um I don't know where I can express myself in some ways I'm always excited about things like that so did you take the traditional route and go to art college yeah, I I did, but I let me put it this way. I took kind of a traditional route. So I did go to art college, but I didn't go right out of um, like high school here. I took about 15 years off in between when I got out of high school and when I went to art college. And I worked a lot of jobs I hated. And, you know, I did like waiting tables and carpentry and, phone, you know, making phone calls for sales. I hated all of it. So I went back to school, and that's when I went to, to art co- an art college. And so it was a traditional route in some ways, but I was the oldest person at my college, I think. And so in some ways that was difficult, but it was well worth it to me. And was that a sudden realization then that you, you realized that you wanted to do art? Or, or in that 15 years gap, did you sort of start to think about it? Yeah, no, in the 15 years... I just kind of realized I hated doing pretty much all the jobs that I was doing. Mm. And I don't know what really made me think that I could do art professionally. I didn't even think I was that great. But And the art I was doing when I first started school is, is quite a bit different from what I'm doing now. Um, and, and so I developed my art style kind of while I was going to school and, and the years after. But um, I, I don't know. I lost track of the question now. But yeah, it was... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which happens. I, I, yeah, I just think that um, 
I, I was just so tired of doing jobs that I absolutely hated. And I just thought, I'm going to take the chance. Maybe I'll be able to make a living with my art. And it's worked out for me, thankfully. Um, I guess if I had to go back to doing those other types of jobs after I got done with school, I would have. But thankfully, I haven't had to. So what was your art like when you, uh, you know, you said it changed a lot. How, how did it change? What was it like before? I was doing like a lot of re- really realistic, like not, I guess, kind of photorealistic stuff. Um, I was doing a lot of scratchboard art and um, I just, it, it just wasn't, it was fun because it was like, um, it fulfilled like the need to create, but it wasn't as fun as what I'm doing now, which is way looser and um, ab- more, a little bit more abstract. And so I really just enjoy the art I'm doing now way more than what I was doing. I saw you post actually, you posted a scratch board the other day, didn't you? Yeah. And I have a bunch of those that I used to do. And so that kind of, I did that type of work and I have other, like I used to do like tattoo flash, which if you've seen that on like the walls of tattoo shops, that type of art too. So I believe you have Tourette syndrome, is that right? And mm-hmm. you use that art your art to help with your condition so I'm really intrigued to to learn a bit more about that and how it helps you yeah so I don't know I'm gonna explain this the best I can yeah and and hold on I gotta clear my throat I've have a tea right here because my throat's been dry I don't know why (laughs) but I don't I hopefully I'm not getting sick um oh no (laughs) yeah I know (laughs) fingers crossed I hope, I hope I've been taking precautions, so I don't think I am. But so anyway, I think with Tourette's, for some reason, what I've found is whenever I'm bored, I'm not when I'm not doing a lot, um, my Tourette's will get worse. I'll have tics and I don't and something neurological is happening where uh, my brain is just like it needs um, what engagement. And so the tics get worse. And whenever I'm more engaged in something. They seem to subside. And so like if I'm watching TV, it's not enough engagement. So all my ticks will still happen. But if I pick up a pen and a paper and start drawing while I'm watching TV, that's enough engagement, I guess. I, it's something I learned a long time ago that whenever I'm doing drawing or music or anything like that, they seem to subside and it gives me like some relief from them. And I don't I don't know exactly why. I think the the, the way that I explained it is probably the best that I can. I'm I'm wondering whether it's a similar thing because, you know, there are people aren't there who stutter and and yet they can sing perfectly well and they it, it, and that seems to completely go when their mind or their brain is completely engaged in something like that and yet it's still words but it's it's as if that problem just disappears so I'm wondering if it's a kind of similar thing in some way. I would imagine it's mm. it has to be because they're both neurological conditions and so mm. so interesting so interesting isn't it yeah has there actually been research done on the, the benefits of art in um, Tourette's I mean there's definitely been research done on different alternative methods for treating Tourette's because there's no cure and there's really no treatments that are that effective I mean because like art is great because it, it subsides my tics, but it's not like I can just do art 24-7, right? I have no. to live my life. So it's not like a great cure, but it, it definitely is something that helps. And so I'm so thankful that I can do it for a living now because I can spend a lot more of my time um, in a state where I'm not constantly ticking and feeling, mm. yeah, because it's uncomfortable, you know? Of course, yeah. 
So if you've got any advice for other people that might find art therapeutic for their mental health, you know, especially even if they feel they can't draw, for example. Yeah, I, I think it's funny too, because I also feel like I have some depression and anxiety and I, I see doctors and I'm treated for that. And, and the art also helps with that stuff too. Mental health and um, Tourette's, is, which is more of a neurological condition, they're not the same, but they definitely have some similarities. And so I think any type of alternative treatments like um, create, creating art or crafts or even scrapbooking, or you don't have to be able to draw to, be, to do something creative. You know, you can literally just get a scrapbook and, and have stickers and photographs and you're just, you know, creating something in that way. And just that type of engagement in your mind can really help. And I think it can really, it's like, you know, going to the gym when you're depressed, they say that it, it really can help you. And I think creativity can be, can do the same thing as working out. Yeah, I think it's just the secret is doing it, isn't it? Starting. Mm -hmm. it's, it's always the way I think, especially like, like you say, with the gym, the hardest part is actually getting your kit on and going to the gym but when right. you come out the, the gym you feel great but it's and it's the same isn't it with art it's always picking up the pencil for some people is the hardest part once they get past that it's then hard to put down well that's it and they think like oh i don't i'm not good at drawing so they don't mm. want to pick up a pencil and of course nobody's was born good at drawing you have to practice and so i think like art is kind of like working out in a way because it's it's like a muscle you know the more you do it the the stronger you get at it and and so I always like to um, compare the two. And I think people that say like, oh, I'm just not good at drawing. You can't draw a stick man or whatever. I always want to just tell them like, no, you just got to give it time. You have to put in hours of work and you're going to improve. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'd much rather do art than uh, go and work out as well. So I think. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> so have there been any particular artists along the way who you've been inspired by? Oh, yeah, I have so many different artists that inspire me. I have like a whole shelf next to me with, yeah. it's pretty much filled with art books. And I mean, it, to say just one would be nearly impossible because I have so many. I mean, obviously, Ralph Steadman is a huge influence of mine. Um, Richard Thompson, who's a great illustrator that does really great um, loose work with pen and ink. And um, Alan Kober, who's a great artist that does similar type work. I really like... Anything that's really visceral and you can tell that it, you know, that they did it uh, without a lot of planning. As soon, you know what I mean? Like when you start seeing art that's so planned out and you can tell that they sketched it a hundred times before they got to the final piece, I feel like it, it loses a lot of it. The more sketching you do to get to that final piece, the more life the, the piece so, seems to lose, or if, you, if that makes sense. And so... Yeah. It's I, like a losing the spontaneity, isn't it? Yeah, which is why, like, if I always would prefer to look through an artist's sketchbook than to look yeah. at their final work because their sketchbook to me is much more interesting because it's more like about you know what's really going on in their brain and and what they draw when it when there's no pressure, you know. Oh, so yeah. do you think it was it was seeing these artists? Do you think they really influenced your own style? Did did you ever sort of start by copying some of them and then taking influence in from them? Yep, absolutely. I mean, I kind of, I, I'm trying to think, like, I know in art school, I was trying to figure out my own style. And that, that was a lot of copying other artists. And how did they, I know, I love what they did here with, with ink splatter. And how did they make that work? I'm going to try to figure that out. Um, 
And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, as long as you aren't taking like everything from just one artist, you're going to end up with your own style. If you're taking a little bit here and a little bit from over here and you're, you know, you're not, obviously if you're just copying all your art from one artist and that's all you ever do, your style is going to be so similar to them that you're not distinguishing yourself. So I don't think there's anything wrong with copying artists to try to figure out how they worked. You just want to be careful that you're not, if does that make sense? Like you, you have to yeah. be careful with how many artists you're, you're copying from and how much you're taking from just one artist. Yeah, yeah, it's influence, little, isn't it? Rather, yeah. yeah, right. And, and uh, taking a little bit from lots of people rather than, you know, the bits you like from various artists, um, you know, rather than everything from someone. But I, just right. going back to what you were say, saying about the sketchbook, I totally agree um, that I much prefer looking at sketchbooks than I do finished pieces of work. And I, I went to an exhibition once and, and there was beautiful works on the wall and then in in the centre of the room, it was a Turner exhibition. Mm-hmm. And in the centre of the room, there was just this glass case with all of these um, sketchbooks of his just open in various places. And they were just squiggles and scribbles. And it, it, I was just fascinated because obviously, yeah. you know, he was a brilliant painter. And, um, and you know, I, I'm a realism painter, I suppose you could call me that. But when you look inside my sketchbooks, there is absolutely, you couldn't be further from, I couldn't be further from that um, realism painter I am. And it's just a, a really great place to explore and and just let loose and and um yeah i think you can definitely tell a lot more about someone by their sketches for sure yeah Mm. i always find it interesting when some people find like i've heard a lot of people tell me that they get nervous drawing in their sketchbook because they almost want it to be like perfect (laughs) you know they want every page to be and if they mess a page up it's like they ruin the whole book and and i'm always like no you have to you can't look at it like that you have to look at it like you don't care what it looks like because you're putting pressure on yourself when you, your sketchbook should be the one place you don't put pressure on yourself. It, it should be loose and just do what you, whatever you want. Who cares if you don't show it to anybody? But some people, it seems like they're putting so much pressure on themselves, even in their own sketchbooks. And I don't, I can't understand that mentality. I think it's a beginner's gonna, mentality, perhaps. Could be. I was going to ask about your commercial work because you said like you like that freshness of the sketchbook and obviously with commercial work you have to plan more so how do you find that aspect of things yeah so I only it depends on the work but I generally only take commissions from people that will allow me a lot of freedom to do what I want and so and I've had people um, you know offer me jobs that were you know, they wanted a lot of sketches and micromanaging, and I'm not going to take those jobs. And so not everyone's in the position where they're able to do that. I understand that. But thankfully, right now I am. And I the jobs that I have taken where they do want a little bit more control, I the final piece, I always feel, is never as good as it could have been. Right. If, yeah. they, if they had allowed more control. And I'm not saying it's because, you know, I'm smarter than them and they, their input is not good. It's just because they're taking away like the, the looseness, the freedom that I have to, to just, you know, just make things work. And I'm, and I'm good at doing that and they have to be able to trust me. And unfortunately, so many people just don't trust the artists they hire as much as they should. And so it ends up with a lot of overworked things and, and if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then that's not very nice for the artist, is it? Cause then it goes out there and you just see it and think, oh, that shouldn't be, those colors don't work together. They wanted this color scheme. And I see, I don't like commissions for that very reason. Right. I just, you know, I think you're right. I think, 
non-artists they want they have something specific in mind but you know i think unless it's something that you feel has has come from you somehow still it's almost like it's not your piece isn't it then do you know what i mean that's how it feels and so i will take jobs like that occasionally if it's the right person and i really want to do the job but it's it it really just depends on what the job is and yeah so I'm, i'm thankful that i'm able to be a little bit choosy with with which jobs i take it knocks the fun out of it as well, doesn't it? Once you've done something several times, it's like, oh, right. you just don't want to do it again. Yeah, that's how yeah. I feel. And I've seen you say that you start by messing up the page. Now, why do you do that? That's a great way to take the pressure off immediately because you're just, oh, the page is all, right? If I take like some fine charcoal and just kind of throw it on the page and then like dump it off, now the page has already got like marks all over it. And so, it, you know, some people think like, working well I know I think when I start with a very pristine piece of paper it can be a little intimidating yeah and so because you're worried like oh I'm gonna make a mistake and then that first mistake you make you're like oh so it's like just make a mistake right away just dump something on the paper um, splash some ink scribble a, a little in the corner I don't know do anything to mess the page up so you've taken it all the pressure off yourself yeah, you've even kind of screwed the page up slightly, haven't you? Did I see that in one of your videos? Yeah, I do it all it's the time. Like, yeah. Like, I, I think... I'll tear the page. I don't, yeah. it doesn't matter to me. I, I find that really fascinating because if you, if you own an original and, you know, you've got uh, where the actual artist's hands have torn the page, it's it's almost like, um, it's part of the process. It's It's almost like a fingerprint isn't it or all the sort of the scars along the way and i find that really really fascinating it's so true and i've got i've been drawing in these b paper company mm. mixed media pages and when you tear them out if they're like wire bound so they have the you know the side of the page is all like torn because of the yeah. wire and i draw in those most of the time and whenever anyone buys an original they're like make sure you send it to me with that torn edge. I like, like people like that. They, they yeah. don't want it, me to cut that off because it's like imperfection and it makes it look more raw or something, you know? It's kind of funny, isn't it? When people, some people are striving for this total perfection of line and you want, and which I really like, the opposite almost, the, the kind of the, the deliberate flaws, I guess you'd call them. Mm, almost like working on a coffee rig. You've accidentally put a coffee cup on your book and then you, a lot of people would take, that piece of paper and tear it out i can't draw on that now whereas you i no doubt you would use that yeah i would embrace it yeah mm-hmm. yeah oh it's brilliant and, and i know that you you use mainly dry media in your work don't you charcoal mainly i think um which is actually quite refreshing because most people tend to go on to paint so first of all why why have you chosen dry media to be your main medium and secondly do you ever work with other media behind the scenes that people don't see most of the things that i use people will see it in my work and Mm. i do use wet media a little bit like i have some watercolor that i'll do sparingly in a piece here and there and i do work with pen and ink not i don't dip the pen i usually use fountain pens yeah um and so i but you're right mostly it's dry and and really it's because i'm just better with dry medium and, and i'm not as good with paints and, oh. and so it's kind of like just I'm playing with playing to my strengths and kind of leaning away from what I'm not good at. And so there's so many people that are so great with watercolor and with painting that I'll let them do that and I'll and I'll do what I'm good at. Yeah, yeah, I get that. Do, do you have to um, fix your drawings with anything or do you 
not do that because I know that I, years ago um, when I actually don't like using soft pastels at all for this mm-hmm. reason they tend to fade but when I did sort of try that out and I sprayed them they would kind of lose a bit of their vibrancy and I know charcoal is obviously not a particularly vibrant medium but do, do right. you do how do you fix them or do you do that at all how do you stop them from smudging right so I usually so the charcoal I use is is sparing too like I use pen and ink I usually start all my drawings with pen and ink. So that's a wet medium, I guess. Um, And then I'll add a little bit of vine charcoal and some spots of charcoal to, you know, just to do whatever I want it to do with each piece. And I do spray them with like a matte fixative so that, you know, they won't smudge. And I've found that they've held up pretty well. You know, I have pieces that are, you know, years old at this point and they still look the same. Um, Hmm. Maybe if I was doing the entire pieces in charcoal, you're right. Sometimes that can fade and um, I would probably have to find a different way. But there are ways you can spray things to um, to make them hold up fairly well. I don't I'm trying to think of the excuse me. I'm trying to think of the brand of the matte fixative I use. I think it's like Grumbackers and it seems to be a pretty good one. And I always usually just spray it once or twice so that technically if you still ran your finger over it, you could smudge it. But it it holds it enough that, you know, you would have you really would have to press pretty hard to smudge it. Yeah. Now, I know you draw a lot of faces. Do you generally draw these from imagination or, or life? And, and what draws you to a particular face? That's a good question, too, because I get so many commissions for portraits. That's probably the most commissions I get. And uh, sometimes they'll ask me to do a portrait of someone, and I just don't want to do it because I'm just not drawn to draw that face. Um, I like to draw older people in general because their faces are usually way more interesting. They have a lot more lines in their face. Um, Whereas, you know, children are a lot harder to draw and make it look like the child you're drawing because they have, well, children often have very similar faces and they're so young. There's just not a lot of lines. And so I tend to lean towards drawing older people, but um, I usually, well, no, not usually. If I'm doing a portrait of someone, I don't do it from my imagination. I use photographs. I usually use multiple photographs. So if someone hired me to do a portrait of their father, I would ask them, please send me at least five good photographs to work from. And so, because they could send one. Have you ever seen a photograph of someone and you think like, that doesn't even really look like that person. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And so I think if they just sent one photograph, like, maybe that photograph doesn't look like much like that person. And so if they send me five, I get a way better idea of what the person looks like. And I can, I can know at that point if my portrait doesn't look like them or if it does. And so the more references, the better in my mind. Um, but I do draw people from my imagination. If it's not a portrait, if it just, I want to just draw a person. I do that from my imagination all the time. But you said on your podcast, you were talking about um, you got a portrait commission that you just ended up not doing. And that was because I guess it was it was someone you just didn't that you weren't drawn to their face. Charming. (laughs) Well, I think I think the one you're that's that is funny. The the one you're talking about that I talked about on the uh, podcast, I think I did take the commission, but I ended up giving the person their money back because I just couldn't do it like. I I worked all day on it and it just, I couldn't get it to look like the person. I wasn't having any fun. It was a good commission too, because it was large. They wanted like a three foot by two foot piece. It was, you know, in the thousands of dollars. And I just said, I'm not, it's not worth the money to me because I'm I'm having no fun doing it. That's Um, the trouble, isn't it? I think with commissions, they can, 
you know, people wonder why they're expensive. It's the stress of some of them, isn't it? And sometimes I found it is just not worth the money. <laughs> it's just not. My husband said to me in the past, why do you do this? And it's like, I don't know. So I don't do them very often for that reason. But with going back to what you said about faces and wrinkles and, and older people, I'm so with you on, on that because I love drawing wrinkles. I don't do a lot of portraits. Um, I'm actually painting a hand at the moment, but what I'm I'm embracing is all the folds in the skin and the, the texture of the skin. And my problem would be is if I were to draw a person who is um, older and has a more mature sort of skin, I love drawing wrinkles so much that I think I would probably emphasize them and for that reason they'd probably hate me afterwards do you find it hard not to do that because when you've got a particular thing you love to draw it's hard isn't it not to just really go with it and think well, I'm going to really emphasize that do you find that a problem or not yeah I hear what you're saying I think I think when people hire me they understand that my work my portraits aren't maybe the most flattering portraits they're so I'm hoping they understand that. I haven't had anybody tell me like, oh, I don't like this portrait. It didn't flatter. Most people don't hire me to do portraits of themselves too. So, no. So they're hiring. of them, isn't it? Right. And then they want like their grandfather p- portrait of them or maybe a portrait of someone famous. So mm. if it's not that flattering, they don't really care because it's not a picture of them. Um, but I understand <laughs> what you mean. It can be tempting to like exaggerate things that that would maybe offend someone. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I love um, like like big noses and things like that or crooked noses. I'd really love to get into that. And so I probably wouldn't be a very good person to do portraiture. <laughs> well, you could do like um, caricature work, right? Cause the... <laughs> probably. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. At what point then did you decide, um, I know we sort of spoke earlier about you when you left um, college after 15 years, but you mentioned you never thought you'd be able to turn it into a career. How did you actually go about turning it into your career then? Because it's not an easy um, thing to, to earn money from, is it? No, it's not. And I had, you know, while I was in art school, I started building my social media. Fo- like, I was really determined to make sure it worked. And so before I even got out of school I and I had to start working, I made sure that I was already putting in work to find clients and to build a following. And so by the time I graduated, I already had a pretty good following um, on Instagram and I was already selling a little bit of work. And and so I just kind of gave myself like, oh, I'm going to give myself a year. And if I'm not really, it's not working within a year, I'll just, I'll have to stop. And mm. so I just knew that I didn't want to go back to, you know, waiting tables or whatever. So I made it work. I just hustled and... Um, I did everything I could. I read a billion articles online about how to build your social media following and how to get more eyes on your artwork. And I implemented pretty much everything I could and trial and error. So, I mean, you know, I work full time and I always tell people I spend a couple hours a day drawing and I spend a lot more of the time with like marketing and doing stuff like this, you know, and emailing mm. people. So mm. you ha- it has to be... If you really want to make it work, you have to realize that at least half of your time is going to be done. You're not going to be in the studio making art. You're going to be like dealing with clients and talking to people and trying to sell yourself. Yeah. I'm really curious. You said about um, building this following when you were at college. 
So how how did you do that? Obviously, Instagram's very big for you now. But how did you go from having this, you know, having no one, for example, to suddenly having loads of people following you? I mean, it was like, it was a steady rise, but it was faster than I guess a lot of people because I just was so determined to to try all these different techniques. So I would do like contests, you know, I'll give away a print if you tag friends in the comments to get other people to see my work. And I would, there's um, a lot of um, curation Instagram pages where they curate art and I reached out to them, you know, will you post a picture of my work and that share it with your followers. And some of them have like half a million followers. And if if they're willing to share a piece of your work, then that puts you in front of a lot more people. and some of me have to pay, like, and I did, I paid one, one of the times I paid like $30 for them to post my work in front of a million people. And I thought it was a good deal. $30 gets me, yeah. you know, so, you know, it wasn't all just, um, people coming across my work on their, their little for you page or their suggestions. It was me actively getting my work in front of them and getting my work onto their radar in some way. So there's lots of different ways that you can do that. Um, I'm, I'm sure, um, most people have, you know, if you take the time and just Google, like, how do you gain an Instagram following? How do you, there's so many articles with different suggestions. And then it's just a matter of picking which ones you think are good for you and trying them out. And some are going to work. Some are not going to work. And the ones that work, repeat them. And do you think it's, it's, um, because I know some people do spread themselves quite thin across social media and they're trying absolutely everything and they're not perhaps doing everything very well. Do you think it's more important maybe to have one or two platforms that you really concentrate and do well than it is to be seen everywhere and not do so much? Yes, I think that that's mm. probably a good point. So I do Instagram and I do, I just started to do um, TikTok a little while ago and then I have a podcast. So I've got a few things, but if I had like a, I feel like I'm already spread pretty thin. And so Mm. if I also had like a Facebook and a Twitter and, you know, a few other social media sites, if I was doing them all, I mean, how, how do you even have time to, because I like to engage with people that follow me. Like if they, you know, comment on my post, I like to try to thank them. And if people message me, I like to message them back if I can, if I have time. And so if I was on all the different platforms, there's no way I'd have time for that. So I think it is better to probably limit yourself to two or three platforms rather than having a presence on tons, but not being able to engage with people. Yeah. You seem to be doing really well on TikTok, actually, I noticed. Um, the very serious posts about whether to choose a blue marker or a black marker, wasn't it? <laughs> I seem to go down really well. Yeah, so the, it's like TikTok is so different because it's such a different um, uh, what, audience, I guess. And so I, I, if you've noticed, if you follow me on TikTok, you'll notice like my Instagram posts and my TikTok posts are very different. And that's on purpose. I'm trying to play to a different audience. I'm trying to, and so I'm trying to get people to see my art by using humor and and other ways that I don't maybe use on Instagram as much. So um, you, that's a, that's a thing too. Like you have to think about the platform you're on. How is it unique? What makes it unique? And how can you add to that? Um, uh, I guess how can you add to that platform in a way that makes sense to you and that will help build your audience. Now, I know you've written a few books. Is, is it three you've done now? Three books? 
I've had four art books, so I have, ah. but one's like a miniature one of insects. Oh, okay. I saw that bugs. Yeah, and Those so bugs. So I have um, discarded, which is so, it's out of print. I only did a run of five hundred of those, and so there's no you can't buy them now. They're all sold out. Hmm. So I do only have three books available. There's remedial. So how, go ahead. How did they come about? Sorry, I was going to say, you know, what gave you the idea for these books, and how did you go about? Because, um, um, you know, I'd just be interested to know how it got started. Really, uh, the first book I did, which was discarded, was like I was just. Um, it, it's basically like art that w- it's a lot of collage work in that in that book, and a lot of stuff art that I made out of things that were discarded. That's why I called it that. So things I found at flea markets, old receipts, old photographs that I turned into artwork. And basically, I just liked that idea for a book. And um, I had enough of a following on Instagram at that point where I thought maybe I could try to raise money through my followers to print the book, you know, do like a crowdfunding. And so it was just like, I tried it, I raised some money and it worked. And so that that's basically how the other books came about because I knew that it would I could I could make it work that way. Um, it's not it's not easy. Crowdfunding is like is actually pretty complex and it's not fun to do. But it's it is a good way to self publish a book. And I always recommend self publishing to people, even though it kind of has a bad rap in some ways. But it's usually better for the artist or the um, author to self publish rather than to work with a publisher. So are you still selling these books? Yep. Are they available for Etsy or? Yeah, I sell them through Etsy just because it's easier for me just to have one way that I sell them so I can just sell, send people to one link. Um, and it seems to work fine. I do have them in some local bookstores like in my area, but yeah, I, I ship them all over the world. And, um, you know, it's people sometimes will message me, oh, the shipping's too expensive to Australia or whatever. And I mean, I get that, that. I just tell them like, well, wait for us. I have sales sometimes. So wait for a sale so that, you know, that will help you pay for the extra shipping. But shipping books isn't cheap. They they weigh a couple pounds, you know. Yeah, I'm waiting for the sale. <laughs> I'm waiting for the sale for the shipping. It is expensive. It's so expensive, overseas mm. shipping. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Well, just um, I'm interested to know, obviously, some of the, our listeners will want to know what kind of books they are. Presumably, they're not kind of tutorial books, are they? They're books of your drawing. So first of all, yeah, I just wondered about what, kind of books they are and secondly what actually gave you the idea in the first place to to make the books yeah so the books are like you said they're not tutorial books but i am i am actually right now in the works with a publisher to do a tutorial book and Mm -hmm, so hopefully that will come to fruition um but the books that i have out now are art books so um they're not how to they're just books of my art one is more like sketchbook stuff one is more um finished work and then the insect one is, is just all drawings of insects. But um, how did I come up with the idea? I think one day I just realized because I draw, I draw pretty quick. Like it only takes me an hour, maybe two hours at the most to do most of my drawings. And mm-hmm. so I end up at, by the end of one year, I'll have like a thousand drawings or something. And so I just realized I could easily, I have so much work. I could easily put out a book every year. I could do it. Yeah. Just because I have so much work. If I, you know, a thousand pieces, then all I have to do is pick the the best hundred or 200 at the most and put out a book. And so I just wanted to compile this, this work into, into a book. And I guess I just wanted to see my own work in a book. And I hoped that other people would, and thankfully they have, but 
I think it's, I think all, almost every artist probably wants to put out an art book at some point, right? So, yeah, on that note, do you have any tips for anyone who's listening who might actually want to do something similar? Yeah, I think self-publishing is, it's definitely accessible to everybody now because there's companies that will print one book if you want. If you don't have a large following, you can still print an art book. Or if you have just maybe a few hundred people that follow you, you could print, you know, 25 or 50 art books and sell them to to the audience you have. You don't, it's not like it used to be where you had to, if you were going to do a book, you had to print thousands because that was the only really way that it was possible. Mm. So it's, but it is a lot of work. So, you know, compiling a book, if you're only going to print one book, it might, maybe you'll think like, oh, it's just too much work for for just to have own one book. So yeah, you have to weigh the pros and cons because laying a book out, the first um, three books that I did, I laid them out myself. And the last one, I did hire a graphic designer, but it's a lot of work, um, you know, designing a book. It's not just a matter of putting your work on each page. You have to take into account a lot, a lot of design elements and things like that. And I guess it's quite expensive, is it? Dep- if you hire a graphic designer, it definitely gets more expensive, but the books. Oh, that's all right. Tara's a t- graphic designer. You do it for me for free, <laughs> wouldn't you? <laughs> I can see you rolling your eyes at me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it's it can be expensive. The the more you print, the cheaper it gets. So I think the last book I put out, um, I got enough copies where it was like about five dollars per book mm. that I was spending. So it wasn't terrible. And they're such a treasure. They're such a treasure. Having a a bookshelf full of books. Not necessarily tutorial ones, but just of, of artist sketches. They're so inspirational, I think. And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd definitely love one of yours on my shelf. I, I shall certainly be purchasing one when the, when the price of the um, shipping goes down. <laughs> but I want it signed. That's the thing. <laughs> I do sign my books. Yeah. And <laughs> I don't have, I don't usually have, like, they, I can't do sales on the shipping because I don't no, control shipping costs, but I can do sales on the can't. books, right? And then that will help with the shipping. <laughs> Oh, bless you. <laughs> I was going to ask about the crowd, crowdfunding. Um, have you got any tips for crowdfunding? I mean, obviously you had a bit of a following, a lot of a following, which really helped. But is it something that you would suggest you could do without a following? Is is the be a lot harder? I yeah. mean, it would be a lot harder. I think the, if you look up statistics on Kickstarter or Indiegogo, you'll see that most. Um, crowdfunding campaigns don't reach their goal. Right. Right. And so, and you could, there's like a, I think Kickstarter has a calculator on their page and it'll tell you if you're likely to reach your goal or not. And what you do is you put in the goal, the amount of money you want to raise and how many followers you have on social media and how okay. many people, um, friends and family you think might buy. And then it'll tell you like, you probably will reach your goal or you won't. And you have to keep in mind like, um, you know, even if you have 5,000 followers on Instagram, for instance, like you're not going to sell even close to that in books. You know, it's it's like one out of every hundred maybe that you'll sell a book to, right? So yeah. it's easy to hit a like button, but to, to get your wallet out and pay yeah. is a whole different thing. <laughs> mm, so you have to yeah. think that too. So uh, other than Etsy, where else can people buy your books? That's it. I mean, unless they're local here and then they can yeah. go to a local bookstore, but right. it's just Etsy. Yeah. Because yeah. I don't want to, so, I don't want to put it out on, have it on Amazon through like a distributor, and then it's just no. com- I'm competing with myself, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so I just keep it simple. 
So I'm at the moment, as we're recording this, we're kind of in the thick of lockdown because of this virus that's um, going around. And I'm sure there are people out there who have always wanted to learn to draw and who just have never had the time for one reason or another. And now they have, you know, do you have any tips for people who, who'd like to start drawing? Because I know when you've, you know, I remember being a, a beginner and being scared of that first page and spoiling it and, you know, do you have any tips on perhaps how to get past that and just how to go about starting to learn? Thankfully, with the internet today, I mean, with YouTube, there's so many great tutorials and walkthroughs. I've, this, the past few weeks, I've been doing like uh, our tutorials on YouTube, and I know you guys have a YouTube channel. There's just so much resources out there for learning to to draw and for different ideas and things. And so if if you want... If you want, you can just sit down and start doodling and drawing and just do what your own thing. But if you're interested more in in help and you need more guidance and you need someone that's going to teach you, there's so many resources out there that are... I know like there's books and videos. And so if you're someone that learns better from a book, pick up some books. If you, if you learn better from video, then go on YouTube. There's just so many ways you can learn. Yeah. You teach, you teach at university as well, don't you? Is that right? No, I don't. Oh, your podcast show host that does. Ah, yeah, sorry Joe, about that. no, that's fine. Sorry. Joe teaches at the main college of art, which is the school that him and I both went to. Um, but no, I don't teach. I would, I would consider it sometime eventually, but it's not something I have time for right now. So tell our listeners then about your podcast, because I'm sure a lot of people would love to check it out. Yeah. So Joe Rochert, who's um, Fort House Studios, is the his art artist name, and. I do a podcast called Thumbnail, and um, we just talk about basically all things art related. It's usually more focused on like the business of art and how to sell art and things like that because I know a lot of artists are interested in you know learning that you know. So we talk a lot about that, but we started having guests and things. And um, if you, I know that your listeners already have a podcast that they're listening to that's art related, but if you're, you know, really into art and you want another one, we, we definitely love to have you listen. It's called Thumbnail. It's available pretty much anywhere you can find podcasts. I've just subscribed. <laughs> right. <laughs> While you were talking about it, I, I must remind myself, I must do that. Oh, yeah, I've just, it's actually on the podcast app straight away. It came up. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. you can't Spotify get enough. as well, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. You can't get enough of art podcasts in my opinion. <laughs> It's it's true. and we're we're actually starting to expand. So we just did a couple of music episodes where we talked to um, J- Johnny Colt uh, yesterday's episode. He's from Leonard Skinnerd, and we have um, Spose, who's a, a rapper. He's going to be on tomorrow. So we're trying to have like not just visual artists on, even though it's a it's no. a visual artist podcast. We're trying to have other creatives on the podcast to get their perspective too. Because mm. you you drew. Um... A famous, and no, I've forgotten his name. You drew a famous artist, so didn't you? A musician for or for a yeah a commission. I've done tons of musicians, but um, I did Tyler the Creator's album cover for Igor, his um, latest album, which won the Grammy for best rap album. So that oh wow yeah, so that was I mean just to have my art on a Grammy winning album is incredible. It was a cool experience. So is, is that it, the highlight of your? Sorry, to, sorry to butt in. I'm just going to say, have you had a highlight, a particular highlight so far in your art career? Or is I can imagine that must have been quite a big one. That was huge. I mean, mm. I've I've worked for um, 
um, drew from the chain smokers and I've done some work, other work for different celebrities. So that that's always fun when someone that you know who they are reaches out to you. Um, and, and you, you find out that you're on their radar. Um, and so that's always mm-hmm. a highlight, but I, I treat all my, all my art the same in that I, you know, just because if someone hires me to do a commission and they're not famous, doesn't mean I'm not going to give it my all and, and enjoy doing it just as much. Mm. I don't know if I read on your Instagram or whether you said it on your podcast that when the, um, and I've forgotten his name again, you have to remind me, but when the um, musician contacted you, you didn't realize that he was trying to get you to do work for him. Well, he, was that on your podcast you were talking about? Yeah, I, I think, so Tyler, the creator, reached out to me through Instagram and his, his name on Instagram is not Tyler, the creator, it's Felicia, the goat. And so <laughs> I didn't. I just didn't put it together. And when he first messaged me and I do get, I have about a hundred and 125,000 followers on Instagram. So I get a decent amount of messages. So I try to message people back, but his first message to me was just like one word. It was just like cool or something like that. It wasn't, he didn't say like, I'd like to hire you or anything. He just was basically saying he liked my work. And then he sent another one that was a little bit longer. And then his third message was basically like, I guess you can't take a hint. I'm trying to ask you if you'll do some work. So, and then I messaged him back and I realized who it was at that point. But he was, you know what, to be, to be honest, he was very um, humble about the whole situation. It's not like he was like, oh, forget it. This guy's, this guy doesn't take a hint. I'm just going to move on, you know? Yeah. Because he could easily find it. Pretty much any artist would want to do, do the work he was asking them to do. But, but yours is very unique, I, I literally think it's because you are very unique. I don't know anybody else really who draws like you do. When I see your work, I know straight away it's it is your work. That's the key, Which, right? Yeah, that's yeah, the that's the key I, to one hundred percent. I totally agree. Developing an art style is huge. Like you want people yeah. to see your work and know that it's your work right away. Um, mm. So I think that if, if you're listening and you take one thing away, like you have to you have to develop a consistent style. That is recognizable if you're if you want to set yourself apart from everyone else and you and you want to have a career. Yeah. So what are your goals now for the future? You know, I it's not something I think about a lot. And I mean, obviously I have family goals and faith goals and, and life goals, but the you know, as far as my art career, like I just love making art and the fact that I can make a living and pay my bills while doing it is just so I'm so thrilled about that. And so my goal is just to be able to do that continually and not have to get another job. That's, that's really my goal. If I can do that, I'm happy. I don't it's care how. It's so rare, yeah. isn't it? It's so rare. And yeah, yeah. well, I'm not, tr- I think it's- I'm not trying to make millions or anything. I just want to be able to pay my bills and draw. That's and I'm happy. Yeah. So if people want to look you up, whereabouts can they find you? Where can they find out a bit more about you and, and your art? I feel like Instagram is probably my central. Mm. That's where I post most often. And there's a link to my website from my Instagram. And so it's just Lewis Rosignol, which I'm sure you'll have that spelled out in the podcast yeah. title. So yeah, people can. Nice. Yeah. yeah, we will do. So that's the best way to, to find me and. Um, like I said, everything that I, all my website and Etsy is all linked from there. Yeah. And so definitely the YouTube channel, because I know, like you just said, you've been making some more videos lately, haven't you? Right. As well. Yep. Great. Well, thank you ever so much for taking time out of your day to speak to us. It's been lovely to talk to you. Thank you well, for having I, me. I really appreciate you coming on. It's been really good chat. 
We yeah, enjoyed it. I enjoyed it too. Thank you so much. <laughs> All right then, Lewis. Take care then. Have a nice day. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. And if you did, perhaps you'd like to share it and leave a review for us on iTunes. 